peekaboo. See, I came in just in time to louse up your tape recording, didn't I, friend? Oh, yes, did. Oh, rotten person. I'm from New Jersey and I'm proud about it. I love the Garden State. I'm from New Jersey and I brag about it. I think it's simply great. All of the other states throughout the nation may mean a lot to some, but I'll take New Jersey, brother. Jersey is like no other, and I'm glad that's where I'm from. <laughs> Would you believe that that's just been voted by the New Jersey Assembly as the state official song? <laughs> I think it should be sung to the tune of the old rugged cross. Get up, Justin. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, where's my horn? That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> that sounds like I invented that. You know, somebody says, "Oh, listen, to that nut." What do you mean? I didn't. I'm not in the assembly. I didn't vote for that. Gee, I'm from New Jersey, and I'm proud about it. I love the Garden State, and I brag about it. That should be played to the sound of of uh, emptying dump trucks. I think you know, kind of a contrapuntal theme there, running there. And as you sing it, you should you should picture those great those uh, great uh, incinerators, the smoke raising, you know, drifting out of a sarcophagus. I'm from New Jersey, and I'm proud about it, and I brag about it. Get out of my way. You know, speaking about the the uh, the current uh, galloping nuttiness that is uh, prevalent, I see this morning in the New York Times. Now, if it wasn't the New York Times, I wouldn't say anything about it, but it's the front page of the New York Times. Now, this is a paper that does not flub around. It, is, it, isn't, it isn't in the game for footsies. It's not playing tag out there. It's playing the real stuff. It's not playing ollie ollie ocean free. Uh, right there on the front page, the front page, mind you, this in the day of Vietnam and the day of shifting, changing values, continents crumbling, at the parliaments are toppling and prime ministers are resigning. On the front page of the New York Times today is a headline. It says, American bathroom rated low in study. It's a front page story. Cornell University team has spent seven years and $100,000 on a basic study of the vaunted American bathroom and has found it minimal in terms of contemporary knowledge, technology, values, and attitudes. Would you please give me a little more of that banjo music to salute Cornell? This is what Cornell is doing while Rome burns. Seven years, this research team at Cornell University, when our institutes of higher learning have been studying the John. Bring it up. Only in America, friends. Can you imagine a 27-year study of faucets at Oxford? And 
can you imagine it then after they have issued their report on blue paper with thin white ruled lines, you know, and a gold seal on the front of it, that it makes the front page of the London Times? Oh, <laughs> in America would they think that only in America do they have bad bathrooms that must come from some guy who's never been anywhere else anywhere else let me tell you sometime I wish I wish the women and children were not here right now I just wish they weren't would the women and children please leave for about the next ten and a half minutes huh and you know who you are so that we here, the big grown-ups, can get down to talk about real things for a minute. Uh, let me tell you sometime about a about a bathroom that I once ran into in Lebanon. And uh, I might say it was in the airport. The airport terminal. Beautiful building. You know, it looked like, it looked like uh, oh, it looked like uh, JFK. You know, it looked like uh, Kennedy Airport or it looked like uh, Newark Airport. But, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, she was wow. Well, I see him. Uh, they have made the uh, discovery here that um, that they figure after all their seven years studying that you should change the uh, location of the bathtub drain. It should be on the other end from the faucet there. So this is very uncomfortable. Somebody lost his grandmother, I guess, on the drain one night when she tried to turn the faucet on. Something like who knows, but... Uh, <laughs> don't ask me. I'm just, uh, it just makes you wonder what's going on up there at Cornell. And uh, we salute you, Cornell. That's kind of a fun study. I, I, I suppose you can major. Uh, I may. I imagine you can get yourself a master's degree in psychology, or uh, I suppose there are other things. I could get even more vulgar. But this is the New York Times. It's not, it's not me, so don't blame me. You know. Speaking of uh, speaking of studies, you know, that that is a fact that most doctors today are having problems with all kinds of new ailments that are breaking out. That uh, that never really afflicted people, say, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, or maybe even just five years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're finding all kinds of new back problems that people are popping up with that come from watching reruns. And uh, this uh, produces... And it, then there's, there's another kind of problem, too. There is a problem that's resulting, and they've been noticing it in uh, places where they study the human eye, uh, problems resulting from watching the second Late Late movie. And uh, it's a, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a special kind of problem. No, I'm not kidding. It's not, not a joke. If you think you've got it, well, <laughs> if when you're speaking of psychedelic experiences, I think if you cl half close your eyes at three o'clock in the morning, sort of squint like that, and you have the lights out in your pad, and you look at the television set, and you see that montage of Priscilla Lane, and uh, there's a little touch of if you look, if you squint hard enough, you can see. Mr. Clean and that white knight galloping across your living room and the sound of background music composed by Dimitri Tiomkin being played on an old, old film chain that wows. This goes far further than anything LSD could ever do. Seriously, and if at the same time you smoke a bad cigar and inhale it, then you will be floating over the chandelier just like nothing. You go all the way. You know, uh, oh yes, there's, uh, speaking of... Uh, of, of problems of uh, medical nature. They're looking, uh, finding out some great ones here. Listen, this one, this is from uh, our old friendly hometown here. It says, uh, there's a new problem. Uh, this doctor was uh, having this guy kept coming in all the time. He was an attorney. And uh, 
It's been reported in the New England Journal of Medicine now. That's a very official paper. They don't mess around. Uh, these guys are very serious about it all. They're, they're kind of an offshoot of the AMA Journal. They're very official. And here it was reported in the New England Journal of Medicine. For several years, this attorney was having trouble with an aching pain over the left, excuse the expression, buttock. And uh, he was having that problem for years, and he kept going to doctors. The pain radiated down the leg in a star-shaped pattern. I, I, well, I kind of like that detail. Well, it was a star-shaped pain, if you know what I mean. There was a little thing that went up the back, and one went down here, one got him on the knee and across the side like that. And he kept going back and forth, and uh, they couldn't they couldn't cure him. He had a lot of problems that they couldn't. They kept looking at their X-rays, and they kept giving him heat treatments. And nothing happened, and. Uh, they they uh, just hit upon this thing. It's a it just kind of an accident. Uh, the patient's wallet, which was very thick with credit cards and money, was removed for a time from his left hip pocket. The pain instantly was relieved. It came back again instantly when he put his fat wallet in his pocket again and his old fat you-know-what. Between the wallet and his fat you-know-what, he was producing an interesting new kind of pain that is called, really, they call it credit carditis. And it has to do with all those fat credit cards. You know, they, they don't make them out of cardboard anymore now. You know, you can, you, you, can, you can have yourself credit cards that make them out of asbestos and out of tinfoil and cardboard. You can get some of them even that are made out of plastic and they're about a quarter of an inch thick, you know, with little bumps all over it and seals. You get 25 of those things stapled together, I'll tell you. That's like carrying the world book around and you're behind, you know, and you just walk around. And, and, and they actually, this is a new, new problem. Now, I, I can assure you that George Washington did not have a wallet full of credit cards in those skinny pants he wore. And uh, these are... <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. Well, now, of course, I had a problem like that one time. I think I told this once on the air. I might as well tell you. Uh, I, I've thought for a long time, and in fact, I noticed this watching television. I, how many of you have noticed uh, watching the Yankees lose? Uh, have any? Have you ever any of you really looked carefully and noticed any changes that you noticed? If you ever run, uh, an, if you get a chance to look at an old film about the Yankees about a year ago, maybe two years ago when they were hitting, do you notice they look different, a little bit slightly different? Have you noticed that Bobby Richardson is getting to look like a little fire plug? He's rounder. He really is. And so is Roger Maris. He's much rounder than he was. And Joe Pepitone, it's, I'm sorry. I mean, uh, he's a spaghetti eater. There's no doubt about that. But, but Pepitone, I'm afraid, is taking his salamis and everything with him out on the field. When he goes out there, you know, you look at Pepitone, he just so waddles around. Now, I'm not saying that they're not hitting because they're getting fat. I'm saying that a, what, this happens a lot of times when a guy puts on a little weight. He doesn't, his, his wall, well, his, his wardrobe doesn't change with it. You, you understand that. And first of all, a guy admits that he's doing something when he goes out and buys stuff like two sizes bigger. And if you're a professional athlete, that's kind of hard to admit, you know. And so what happens when you put about 15, 20 pounds on, you cheat a little bit. I've seen him do it, you know. You get on the scale, and instead of standing on the scale, he puts one leg on the scale. And sort of stands with one foot still leaning down there on the tile floor. And he still looks like he weighs 183, you know. Actually, it's 215. He's only weighing one foot in the left side of him. You know? <laughs> well, I've seen that done by athletes a lot of times. Well, of course, what happens? You have to concede, you know, when you go down and you buy yourself shirts and that. If, if you're if you're a normal size 15 and a half neck, and all of a sudden you're, you're a 17 neck, well, you have to either blame the laundry for shrinking all your shirts, which you know, cheap rotten shirts, 
or else you pretend that uh, cheap shirts are making they're making them smaller now. That uh, 15 and a half used to be a heck of a lot bigger shirt than it is now, and I've seen him do that. Now, uh, I just want to suggest to you, uh, to those of you who are Yankee fans, that perhaps the Yankees, of course, it's a simple thing. You know, success will do it. These guys have been pennant winners for a long time, eating high off the hog. I suppose you know that when a team wins a pennant, it gets invited to a lot of uh, wintertime banquets. You know, the Kiwanis Club does not like to talk to seventh-place pitchers. Not at all. I mean, a guy that had a record of 3-16 and 16 does not get invited to the Rotary Club to come and talk about success. Uh, and so, uh, ultimately, pennant winners, uh, they put a lot of rubber chicken down there in the belt. And they drink a lot of martinis and lap it up. And it's free. You, you understand that they... And it's pretty hard to push yourself away when they're coming around with the baked Alaska and all that. People are yelling and hitting you in the back, old Joe Pepitone, you know. And the next thing, you begin to spread out a little bit. Now, you may buy a couple of new shirts, but what I am, I am submitting to you is that I have noticed a distinct hitch in uh, Maris's swing. I've noticed a distinct hitch in Pepitone's swing, and I know what it's from. Tight underwear. Guy doesn't go out and buy himself a whole new set of jockey shorts when he stops being, you know, he starts out a size 34, and the next thing you know, he's a 38. He still wears the same old shorts that he bought when he was in high school. And, you know, a lot of guys, they, they cheat a little bit on underwear. You know, you buy a good suit or you'll buy yourself a good shirt. You know, that's, that's playing it up, you know. The clothes make the man. And everyone sees that shirt. They see the, the, the suit. They see the jazzy alligator shoes you wear, you know, when you're a success. But a lot of guys, you'd be surprised at how many very rich guys are still, still wearing the same Fruit of the Loom underwear that they got for three for a buck when they were a sophomore in high school. You know, you just... Fudge a little bit on that department. And I would like to submit to anybody out there who has a clothing store, why not send, just as a gesture of goodwill, and to add a little spice to the American League pennant race, send to the Yankees a complete set of new jockey underwear for every member on the team. That is, for every member on the team who was on the pennant winning clubs. You notice Roy White comes up from the minors, he's like he's out of his skull. He's still skinny. I'm very hungry, you know. Every time he sees that ball come out, his underwear is probably big on him. And he swings like mad. He goes and he runs. He slides. Not Joe. I mean, uh, you, Joe waddles down the first there and he laughs it up and waves, you know. And, uh, you know, even Bobby Richardson. You notice Bobby's a little round. He looks like a little bowling ball out there with feet, you know. I've seen him bend over distinctly three times last week during the Cleveland series when they hit ground balls to, to, to Bobby. I heard distinct creaks that I know doggone well came from expanding rubber around the waist, being expanded a little too much. When he reached out, they went right through him. I never saw him make the errors like that. I submit that it's just a matter of tight underwear. They don't, they, you know, they've got a new match. They don't need that. Even Ralph Hawks a little fatter. Speaking of fatness, this is WOR, AM and FM, New York. And the reason we're so fat, this station here, is because we got all these commercials. One of them is the Rover people. It's a... This is this is a money car, I'll tell you. Good automobile, wonderful machine. It's built to last. It's built for people who have got that uh, little extra in taste, you know. The kind of people who recognize the world is composed mostly of us and them, we and they, the slobs and the good guys, and they recognize themselves as good guys. And the Rover is basically a good guy car. It's a magnificent machine. It's built for cutting them down. It's built to go. It's, uh, of course, this is another thing. Guys will spend $28,000 on a car and then worry about gas mileage. Which, 
Only in America. Well, we have a rover here. It's the Rover 2000 TC, which is a fine, economical, beautifully designed machine, and I'm sure that you'll enjoy having it. And also, speaking of uh, fine machines, and this is for another type of person, strangely enough, you know, this is this is why I never really get ahead, Bob. I, I really, I, my tastes aren't too opposing. Like, I'm one, I'm one of those guys who can like a Rover and at the same time ride a Honda. They're basically opposing. No, I seriously mean that. You've got to be able to be tagged to make it in a society of tags. You've got to be right-wing or left-wing. Oh, yes. Uh, left-wings, they go all the way, you know. They wind up uh, being big guys. They get interviewed and they go to campuses after campus and people applaud them. If you're a right-wing, you get the same scene. Now, uh, uh, if, uh, I've always had that problem. I, I have a tendency to like guys playing jugs and uh, playing banjos and juice harps. And I like uh, guys playing, uh, you know, I like to hear Monk and the whole scene. I also like to hear, uh, from time to time, I, I'll stop in and listen to the opera a little bit, you know. And uh, that doesn't do you any good in the long run. Kids specialized. If you're going to be a klutz, go all the way, kid. If you're going to be an intellectual, never admit to your them. Do it in private, your own bedroom, next to the next to the air conditioner. Don't let anybody see you that you read big little books, comic books. You know, keep it to yourself. Well, that is. I'm sorry. That is. Uh, that is intellectual. Well, if you're intellectual today, kid, don't let your friends see that you're reading Melville. Make them think that you read nothing but Little Orphan. Oh yes, we have Honda, magnificent motorcycle, moves fast. I've got myself a 305, which I picked out over at Fleischmann's. Out on the island. And by the way, if you're planning to buy a motorcycle, don't think in terms of just buying a motorcycle. It's very important to know where you get it. I can tell you this as having owned several in my past uh, life. Uh, some people in the motorcycle business are really licensed hold-up men. Uh, <laughs> that's true in almost any business. And I would highly recommend Fleischmann's. They have a fine service department. Uh, Fleischmann's has four places out on the island. There's one, let's see... Uh, well, let's see. We got the little note here. There's one out on Long Beach, one on West Islip, one in Bayshore, one on uh, out on Queens. Uh, it's on uh, Queens Boulevard, about a mile this side of uh, Macy's there. That's in Woodside. But this is Fleischmann Honda. And if you're planning a Honda this year, and a lot of guys have been getting that little sneaky feeling that they'd like to bust loose, uh, I would suggest you visit Fleischmann. Uh, they not only will put you on one of them, they'll teach you how to ride it, they'll get the insurance for you. They'll do a complete job. That's Fleischmann Honda, okay? Now, <laughs> we return to life here. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What the, what was I talking about? What happened there? Oh, about the underwear. Oh, of course. Well, I had an experience just like that. I, I told that on the air. I was in a ball game one time. And uh, it was in the summertime. You know how it is in the summertime. You go to the beach. And uh, I was playing ball every day in those days, playing, playing uh, double headers on Sunday and all that stuff, you know? And uh, I was playing third base once in a while. I'd play in the outfield. And uh, I was considered uh, a moderate-type uh, swinger. You know, I, I, I could get my hits. I got my bingles now and then. And uh, I, I had a practice, too. You know, you ever get hit hit on the head by a ball? Anybody uh, ever get ever get hit on the head by a ball? I'll tell you, that's, that's an experience that you'll never forget if you really get hit. Hey, that reminds me. I've got a story about, about a guy's head. And the sound that, uh, that your head can make. Oh, boy. I was up to bat one time. Yeah, I was up to bat. And uh, I saw an, a little thing on television last week. I was watching uh, a ball game. 
And I don't recall who it was, but one of the players was up, and he swung, and it was an inside pitch and caught him on the handle. And he hit a, it was just a foul tip, just barely ticked the bat. He swung under it, just barely ticked it. And the uh, ball just up like that and clipped him on the forehead, just pow, knocked his helmet off, flipped over back. He stood there for a second, you know, and he shook his head. And, and uh, you could see just for a little, little, little instant there, he was stunned a bit. And uh, the crowd roared, and he reached down, picked up his hat. And funny, he put it on backwards. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, and he stood there for a couple of minutes, and he struck out. And uh, he wanted back, sat down in the dugout. The only thing is he was in the visiting team's dugout. And uh, that little happened to you. I, I, uh, I was up the bat one day. <laughs> I'll tell you. Oh, wow. I was up the bat, and, and uh, pitch came inside, and I swung at it. It all happened so fast. I, at first, I didn't know what happened. I thought somebody shot me from the stands. There were several guys who used to sit back at third base who threatened to do that all the time. You know, they were, ah, kill it, bum. I figured somebody did it. And uh, I was up at bat there, and I took that swing. It was just all happened all in an instant, like that. And just instantly, I, I, I knew something happened, but it didn't quite register for a second. You know, pain is a thing which comes later. It doesn't come instantly. Uh, a, a fighter getting knocked out feels nothing. You know, you know the expression, he, feels, he felt no pain? That's true. No pain at all. Just all of a sudden, you know, you just see the floor coming up. That's all. Just crazy feeling. And you don't feel hitting it or anything like that. The pain comes about three days later. When that big knob starts sticking out on the back of your head, you know, it starts growing twigs and little moss grows on and boy, you start feeling it. But I caught that ball on the inside and I just swung and I knew that I hit, a, at first I thought I hit a foul ball instantly. I knew it. I, you, you know when you get a hold of the ball solidly. There was an instantaneous flick and it hit me, I later learned, it hit me right above the right ear. Just went like that. See, I, I, I swung. I'm right-handed. I swung. My right ear was exposed. It was hanging out over the plate like that, see. <laughs> and the ball bounced up. Caught me right above the right ear. Just a glancing shot. And the ball went whistling up. And the catcher thought, of course, that I had foul-tipped it. He's circling around, Andrew. You know, he's going he's gonna to play it for an out. And that was the final insult. This thing belted me on the head. It, it really clipped me, see. And I reeled around there for a second. I didn't want to hit me. The next thing I know, the umpire's hollering, you're out. I says, what do you mean I'm out? I got hit on the head with a ball. He says, get out of here, Mac. And a big bump. And uh, immediately the, uh, the team pours out of the dugout yelling. And on my team, of course, yelling and hollering. Get hit on the head. Look at him. He doesn't ordinarily talk like that. Listen to him. He says, there's something wrong with him. And my manager's pointing to me and says, look at how he's looking. Look at his eyes are crossed. And the guy says, get out, you're out. And they threw us both out of the ball game. But, but the thing that, that, uh, that I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to, wanted to report on is that, is that the instant I got hit on the head, my, my head started to ring. It were bells, really bells. And it was a very interesting Carillon effect. It was, it was more like um, the little ecclesiastical overtones. And, uh, and it started to ring, and it was great. Uh, a couple of days later, I'm in the outfield, and I find myself humming along with it. It continued for days, and I could hear ding, dong, 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 dong. It was playing these, you know, a lot of old memory tunes. It was jogging all kinds of junk out of my mind. Da, 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 dong, 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 there playing in the outfit and this fantastic chorus is ringing all around me and just going on and on and on so I'm up to bat then 
And I'm standing up there at the plate, and, and it starts all over again. You know, dong, 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 boing, 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 boing. Well, for about six months after that, my head periodically rang. It just rang like 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 the bells of St. Mary. And uh, strangely enough, it was in pretty good tune. I, I mean, I, I got so I kind of liked it. You know, you can get you can get adapted to music. You get so that you miss it when it's gone. Well, around about Christmas time, long after the season was over, it began to fail and began to go out. It had a few brief starts during the Christmas period there. You know, jingle bells and things would start it all over again. <laughs> And I I, uh, I got so that I missed it, and even now to this day, I I, uh, I once in a while feel a little nostalgic for that great chorus on my cranium, which came about as a result of that foul ball. But there was one afternoon when I, my hitting fell off distinctly for, oh, I'd say for about, oh, possibly six or seven weeks, I went into a nosedive. My, my batting average dropped about 75 points, and I couldn't figure out what was happening. I was going out in the morning and swinging and you know, taking practice swings, nothing. I just wasn't making it. Well, one day I'm up at bat. I think I told this story. It's a true story. I'm up at bat. And uh, I took a whiff at a ball. This was in a doubleheader. And it was, you know, minor league doubleheader. And there must have been a good 175 people in the stands when those long, quiet Sunday afternoons. And they had these open wooden stands. You know how, how when you see ball games being sent back during spring training and you see these ballparks these guys are playing in, these open stands with a lot of people wandering around eating popsicles? And the people waving at each other, and they're out of the ballpark. Somebody's outside the park. Somebody's in. They're waving and hollering. Well, that's a minor league ballpark, and that's the way minor league ball looks. Once in a while, sometimes somebody will even get out and play three innings in the outfield. Just somebody from the stands. You don't even know it. And uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm up at bat. I take a whiff, you know, and I miss. And I've come walking back, and all of a sudden, the manager sticks his head out of the out of the dugout, and he says, "Hey, Shepard, I know what's the trouble." And I said, "What?" In front of everybody, he yells, tight underwear. Your underwear's grabbing you. Well, he spotted that hitch in the swing, and sure enough, that night, the club provided me with a dollar seventy-five, and I went down and bought myself three new sets of jockey shorts, one size bigger, and my batting average went up 40 points in the next week. Now, a cause and effect cannot be totally ignored if you're interested in philosophical and, and the truly scientific statistical findings. And I would like to recommend somebody send to Roger Maris, Bobby Richardson, and I even think uh, possibly Cleet Boyer. He's getting a little uh, little broad in the beam there. Now, he's doing pretty good with the glove, as many hefty guys come. But where it shows up is in that little hitch, that slight hitch. Now, it's not a matter of getting fat. It's a matter of getting grabbed, which is very different. <laughs> so anyway, I'm just submitting this for what it's worth. Anybody out there interested in uh, any other scientific observations I may have about the... You know, speaking of head, do you have my, my spooky, scary music in there, please? Uh, get, get me... Uh, yeah, I think the big, big one there. That's, that'll be good enough there. That's good. That's it. Uh, sneak that in there. I've got a story here that'll, that'll give you reason to think about, boy. I'll tell you. Hold it there. I have to tell you about that other, other problem doctors are, are, uh, are finding that is uh, currently uh, plaguing them now. Uh, problem that uh, a new a new disease, new ailment. Uh, it's it, this is more in the psychiatric realm, really. Uh, as you probably know, one of the big uh, new, uh, of course, television today is uh, is going uh, more and more into medical technology, 
And uh, more people are coming in today with very interesting diseases. Like there was a wave of rabbit fever. Um, there hasn't been much rabbit fever in New York in the last few years. But all of a sudden, a large number of people who came in who thought they'd eaten bad rabbit <laughs> began to show up. Yeah, oh, did you remember? They, they, they had rabbit fever there. And it was a wave of people who thought, thought they had some rare Indian tapeworm. Apparently, a tapeworm of that type showed up on Ben Casey. And uh, at last, people found their out. Uh, the out, of course, was that this girl on the Ben Casey show was so hungry all the time. She's eating like a nut. You know, she was just shoveling it in. And uh, they, they couldn't figure out why she was eating like this. She was just stuffing her face all day and all night. And then she'd come up and yell for more until finally they took her to see Casey. And Casey took one look at it and says, you've got the uh, ipso pipso facto tapeworm. It's a very, very a rare tapeworm that's found only in uh, obscure parts of India. You were in India recently, weren't you? I can tell by the yellow look in your eyes. And she says, well, yes, how do you know, doctor? He says, well, I can tell. Now, Casey was an intuitive guy. That's why he's out now. You notice he's off? Oh, no, no, no. Casey had his last show here a couple of months back. And uh, he, he's not off, though. I notice he's on reruns all over the dial. Nobody ever dies in television anymore. You know, Jack Webb had his last show about 17 years ago, but he's still on. 498 t stations. And I don't mean he died literally. I mean he died as a TV star. And uh, Jack Webb is still running all over the dial there. You know that they made, they made, uh, there are still some I Love Lucy reruns that are running. When Desi was just dating Lucy, that was before they got married, had that divorce and all that mess and that whole thing. They, he was just dating her. He just had an eye for her in those days. It's still on. So nobody, I, I have a feeling that in the year 2428, George Goebel reruns will still be around. They won't even remember who he was. He's a mythical figure from the past. Uh, <laughs> he already is. <laughs> Speaking of mythical. Oh, you want to hear that terrible story about the head? What is it? I'm awful facetious here tonight. No, wait, no, wait. Well, I'll, get, I'll, I'll prepare it here. All right, ready. Give me scary music, please. Scary. Oh, wow. Gee whiz, just, just think, uh, Ben Casey, if Ben Casey was still around, what his scriptwriters could have done with this disease in a two-part series. It would have been fantastic. Get Susan Plachette to play it, you know, one of the greater actresses. <laughs> Or Diener Merrill, huh? How about that one? <laughs> Gee, the world is full of fine performers, isn't it? Miami Beach, Florida. From inside the head of Dardian Ficadero comes peculiar sounds. Sometimes they squish, squish. Squish, squish, rhythmically. Sometimes they seem to wheeze or to whine in an eerie fashion. In the stillness of the night, his wife insists she can hear them ten feet away. She hears his head while he is asleep, going... nervous wreck, she says. She's a nervous wreck. She's a nervous wreck because his head squishes. 
<laughs> Just suddenly occurred to me. Talk about a matriarch. <laughs> Have you heard of the girl who sneezes? Figueredo asks. The woman who hiccups? I am the only man in the world with noises in my head that other people can hear. Outwardly, Dottie and Figueredo appears perfectly normal. But three times since May 28th, surgeons have operated in an attempt to silence his head. That was the date that he fell 20 feet from a ladder and fractured his skull. I am lucky to be alive, Figueredo says. Yet he talked plainly as if he didn't much care. This squishing in my head is driving me insane. At first, Figueredo tried not to pay attention. He told his wife Margie that he heard noises. She, of course, being a typical American wife, didn't believe him. We had crosswords one day, and I put my arms around them to make up, and I heard for myself, and I says, forgive me, forgive me, Figueredo, forgive me. What a great scene that would make in the second act of a Ben Casey. Suddenly she discovers that he was telling the truth. His head does squish. She categorizes the sounds that she hears she says they vary, apparently in volume, pace, and intensity. But the loudest, she says, comes at night. Always at night, when Dorian is asleep. It sounds like a siren coming from a long way and getting closer and closer and closer. Sometimes the noise is a low gush. Like the wind makes through a crack in the window of a car. A low, sudden... Another noise is like picking up a baby doll. And then his brain sounds like a baby crying for its mummy. And then... <laughs> she laughed. Sometimes the noise sounds like frogs down on the pond. <laughs> Figueredo laughed too, but differently. To me, he says, it sounds like a dying puppy dog. It just makes noises all the time. I cannot go to the movies anymore. I disturb people all around. Wouldn't that been a fantastic role for Susan Plachette? You know? Sometimes when I hear her read lines, I have a feeling that there are sounds coming out of her head. But uh, that's... Uh, <laughs> I'm a terrible, rotten person. But just a personal opinion. I mean, not to be taken as, a, as an official critical opinion. Just, you know. But uh, these, these sounds, you know, this, uh, I, I, can see all, I can see, you know, just endless possibilities... Endless. Of course, of course. Uh, when when I got that foul tip, that that ringing the bells sounding, and the and, and you get the, you get a sense that pe other people can hear it too. You know, yeah. Like like one time I uh, have you ever had that uh, that problem? 
Have you ever had uh, a um, a fungus uh, infection of your middle ear? That's something to remember. Oh yeah, uh, you get the little thing. You see that it's a little uh, infection that suddenly occurs, and one night you'll you'll begin to hear you. Uh, you have ever heard? Have you ever heard of E Power Biggs? That's a great name. You know who E Power Biggs is? Well, E. Power Biggs is considered one of the greatest pipe organ players in the world. Well, I woke up one morning and I thought that E. Power Biggs was giving a fantastic concert next door to me. And he was playing Bach. And he was playing some Bach that I had not heard. Now, I am no uh, uh, Bach mania maniac. I'm, a, I'm not a Bach nut. But I heard this tremendous organ playing on and on and on. And boy, he was going. And you know, it was the first time I ever heard E. Power Biggs hum when he played and tap his foot. And not only that, it sounded like he was cracking his knuckles when he played. And then he began to whistle. And that, little, that bugged me. You know, E. Power Biggs is a very serious man. Uh, I mean, it's like, uh, oh, by the way, uh, how many of you are going up to the tap dance uh, retrospective festival at the YMHA? Huh? Well, they're having a retrospective tap dance festival at the YMHA. What do you mean, what? What's the matter with you people? I mean, why is, am I the only one who's, who's with it in this world? Who? <laughs> oh, well, anyway, I heard this. Chris, Chris uh, these, these problems come and go. It's just like the other day, uh, the part of the new world that we're living in, Hanford, California, says the new occupants of a house have learned why a young man named Marvin periodically came over to their yard to water the lawn and to uh, help them weed the backyard. He says he cultivated the backyard and he helped them. He said that he just came over. They, they thought he was a kind of a nice kid. And it was uh, not until a few months later that the police came in and busted the whole family. Turns out that Marvin was growing pot in their backyard. And <laughs> I just thought you ought to know. <laughs> Did I ever tell you the, the story of the guy? <laughs> you know, that the innocent are constantly being led into the, into the slaughter. They really are. The innocent are everywhere. And uh, I remember one time I'm working in the steel mill. I'm, I'm, I'm really a kid. You know, it's, I'm 16 and I'm working in the summertime and I'm an office boy in this office. And that we had these guys named Chet Gotch. Chester Gotch was working there. And uh, Mr. McGuire, he was our boss. And, and uh, Mr. Summers was another one of the bosses, and, and uh, they were very official men. And Chet and Herman and uh, myself, and oh, there was another guy there. I'm trying to think of his other, there was another one there. But the four of us, every day, we used to eat lunch together. Me and Chester and Herman and Mr. McGuire would drop in once in a while. We'd come and eat, eat lunch all the time. And, and Chester lived in, in Indiana Harbor, Indiana. How many of you read the piece recently in uh, Time Magazine? about northern Indiana, about Gary and Hammond. Did you read that piece in East Chicago? Well, you didn't. Well, other people did, hon. Northern Indiana, Gary and uh, East Chicago and Hammond. All of a sudden, people are discovering the Midwest. Uh, they really are. And suddenly, it's become very hip. I, I predicted this about five years ago, you know, that it would suddenly become... I did, that it would become very hip for people to take a two-week vacation and explore Goshen, Indiana. Uh, it, really, going out to the hinterlands, uh, this is one of the least known parts of, of America, you know. 
Uh, people, whenever they're going to write their novel or they're going to do any research or write a big article, they go to California or they'll go to the East Coast or they'll go down and uh, decay a little bit in the South so they could uh, get a little touch of decadence in their writing. Or somebody will go up to the to New England to try to inject a little of uh, puritanical fanaticism into his writing. He's, you know, he's hung on O'Neill. But hardly anybody takes off for Lima, Ohio to absorb the literary air there. Uh, strangely enough, because so many of the writers have come from that area. The best writers in America's produced, you know. Yeah, by and large, a tremendous collection of them. Uh, not without exception, but a, a tremendous number of uh, great writers have come out of the Midwest. Ranging all the way through uh, Mark Twain, Thurber, T.S. Eliot, Dreiser, all these guys are Midwesterners, you know. Scott Fitzgerald, Hemingway, Oak Park, Illinois, wow. You know, this, this is a tradition out there. I don't know, this is, someday they'll uh, discover that and find out why, but it's a fact. And, and once you, you come out of that area, you never shake it off, you know, it's, it's never there. You never, never shake it off completely. And just recently, Time Magazine suddenly discovered that northern Indiana is far tougher than anything that any place they've yet discovered in, the, in America. How, how many years have I been saying this on the air? How many years have I been saying that that uh, that northern, in fact, in my stories in Playboy, uh, I've been writing about that area. I've been writing about Gary Hammond and East Chicago. It is one of the most interesting uh, mixing pots, uh, melting pots in America. You know, you know, they often talk about New York as a melting pot. I don't see that. Uh, I don't see much melting in New York. Uh, because everybody in New York lives in little little areas, you know. There's the Italian neighborhood. There's the there's the uh, uh, the Jewish neighborhood. There's these little neighborhoods. Boy, I'll tell you, out in East Chicago, Indiana Harbor, everybody's thrown together, and it produces a wild, gutty, insane world. And I remember the time Chet Chet Gotch came down to work. It seems that his friend next door. His Mexican friend, who worked at the 40-inch mill, had introduced him to a new interesting type of cigarette that he had never heard of before. It seems they grew a lot of and smoked a lot down in Mexico. And he says, you know, it was funny. <laughs> he was the first hippie pot smoker uh, to, to, <laughs> to, make, to make the discovery in northern Indiana. But I suspect that eventually there will be a great wave of discovery of this wild, swinging, yeasty... Uh, unbelievably vital area of America. Oh, I, Chicago certainly is part of it. Only Chicago could have brewed uh, Playboy, Hefner, that whole world. Certainly not uh, Chelsea. Uh, certainly not uh, McDougal Street. Just not going to come out of there. And, uh, oh, those fist fights are going on right this minute. To have known Calumet City in its heyday is to have known Sodom and Gomorrah at its very peak. In fact, Sodom and Gomorrah, as they were trying to be and never quite made it, Calumet City went all the way. All the way.